Well, again, good morning, new breed. It's good to, to open God's Word with you. It's good to see what it is that God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, wants to communicate to us. If you're tuning in and you're maybe not familiar with New Breed Church, my name is Pastor uh, Michael. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New Breed Church, have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and we are uh, glad that you are here with us. Hopefully by now you have your Bibles open once again to Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read through chapter 11, verse 1. So follow with me as, as I read. Daniel records, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food. No meat or wine entered my mouth. I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Upas around his waist. His body was like beryl and his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Goes on, only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep and, and my face with my face to the ground. Now verse 10, it says, Suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. And and, and he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you. He says, Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. Verse 12, Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from this day that you propose to understand, or from the first day that you propose to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. While he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength. And there is no breath in me. Then the one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid. You who are treasured by God, peace to you, be very strong. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. 
And he said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word, as we consider Daniel 10, God, I pray that you would give us, God, you would give us grace to endure, to endure in a world that is difficult, in a world that is hard, and in a world where there are spiritual battles all around us. I pray as we seek to understand this text, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear for your fame and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we are still in our series through the book of Daniel entitled Dominion, Faith, and Worship. And we, we've actually come to the, the last vision in the book of Daniel. The, the last vision actually encompasses the last three chapters of the book. So chapter 10, 11, and 12 all deal with this, this final vision. And as we consider chapter 10 specifically, kind of leading up to the breakdown of the vision, the title of this morning's message is, The Battle Still Rages. The Battle Still Rages. If I'm honest with you, brothers and sisters, I I know how much I needed to be reminded of the truths that we are going to talk about this morning. As brothers and sisters, family, again, just being transparent with you, I I am so weary, and I am tired, and I, I am struggling. To be completely transparent with you, I didn't even want to preach this week. I was trying to think of ways to get out of it, trying to think of ways to pass it off to one of the other pastors, and... When I knew I had to preach, my first thought was, well, let me just take a break from the book of Daniel. Let me kind of go into the archives and to preach something I've already preached, something that will be easy for me to get through. Let me just make it past today, get through this week. Because you know, there is, there is so much going on in the world right now. And like so many of you, it's hitting harder as time progresses, it, it kind of seems like we as a society, a collective society, just can't, we can't catch our breath. And we are in the midst of a real pandemic that continues to claim lives. We are seeing it spread across campuses. We're seeing it reappear in countries and cities that seem to have a grasp on it and an issue that should be primarily driven by the general well-being of people It's being driven by politics and used as a weapon. You cannot turn on social media without seeing some image bearer act a fool over something as silly as wearing a mask. And in the midst of this, there is great social unrest in our country that just breaks my heart. We seem to not be able to make it a month without an image bearer being reduced to a hashtag. 
We are seeing lives taken. We are seeing cities burn as there are riots and looting. We are seeing the image of God imprinted on mankind by God's divine hand. We're seeing it profaned and all of it is sin. We seem to be reminded daily in the headlines of how fleeting life is as people we look up to and admire are losing their lives for countless reasons. There have been tornadoes and hurricanes. There was an explosion in Beirut. There have been wildfires. There is just so much going on. And we are very isolated in this moment. I feel very isolated in this moment. And I would imagine that for many of us, myself included, after six months of it, It seems like each day the sting just gets a little worse. I shared this with you last week, just how desperately I miss you. It's not just speaker engagement. It's not just because I'm supposed to to, to be up here and say that as your pastor. I miss you desperately. And so as I mentioned, I've I've been struggling. I, I I didn't want to preach. I definitely didn't want to preach Daniel. My mind and my emotions have been all over the place this week. You can ask my wife and she'll, she'll vouch for that. I found myself quite a few times crying and just not really knowing why. But I am so thankful that by the grace of God, before I pulled a sermon out of the archive to just make it through, I decided to read Daniel 10 one more time. And the reason that I'm thankful is because as I began to think about it, and as the Holy Spirit pressed on me, this chapter of Scripture, perhaps more than any other at this moment, at least for me, is a needed reminder as we consider this fact that the battle still rages. The battle still rages. So let me walk through this with you. And briefly explain what's going on. And then I want to draw four truths out as we consider this idea that the battle still rages. So we find ourselves in verse 1, and it says, In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. So this is a few years after chapter 9. And at this point, Cyrus or Darius, remember we talked about, we speculate those are the same person, They've already given the edict that Israel can return to Jerusalem. Uh, the, the edict that was given in Ezra chapter 1, basically allowing the people of God to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild not only the city, but also the temple. And we, we learn that Daniel is in the midst of a fast. And it says in verses 2 and 3, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks was over. And so as he's in the midst of this fast, while standing on the bank of the Tigris River, he encounters someone. He encounters someone, and so... Verses 5 and 6 read, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the, the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And so now the first thing, if we're going to understand this text that we have, to, we have to dissect, we have to understand is who is this person that Daniel encounters? 
themselves? Who is this being that he sees as he's standing on the bank of the Tigris, this person whom the others around him, they can't hear his voice, but they know that there's something going on so much so that they run in fear? Well, there are some clues for us. There are some clues that this encounter was different than when he encountered Gabriel. The description is different because the person is different. In all actuality, there is no description of Gabriel. There's there's no other description of an angelic being. But with this encounter, with this person, there's a description of what, what he looked like. Again, because the person is different. And so I want to tell you who I believe Daniel encounters right here in this text and then give you a few reasons why I believe that in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel encounters the pre-incarnate Son of God. He encounters Jesus before he is Jesus, the man, God-made man. He, he encounters the pre-incarnate Son of God. And I think there's evidence for this in the text. So notice again the description that I just read. The description of what what he saw when he looked at this person. This is actually the very description that John references when he encounters the resurrected Son of God in Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. John says, The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow. And his eyes like a fiery flame, his feet were like fine bronze as if fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. The description that John gives mirrors the description of Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. But there's also something to be said about the encounter itself that leads us to consider that perhaps this is in fact the incarnate, the pre-incarnate Son of God. You see, Daniel was standing with people and when the vision occurred, only he could see it. Only he could hear it. And the others fled in fear. Verse 7 reads, Only I, Daniel, saw the vision." The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. This is very similar to another encounter. In Acts chapter 9, before Saul became Paul, we read at his conversion in verse 7, after Jesus has spoken to him, that the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. But we have one more clue that this encounter Daniel is having is with someone other than simply an angelic being. Because in chapter 11, verse 1, this individual who, who, who I'm trying to make the case is the pre-incarnate Son of God, he's speaking of the archangel Michael, and he says, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. So this being is one who empowers, strengthens, and protects the angels themselves. This encounter that Daniel has is with no one other than the pre-incarnate Son of God. And like Saul and like John, like any who has encountered the divine in Scripture at his presence, Daniel falls face down. 
But the Son of God, in verse 10, he begins to comfort Daniel. And he reminds Daniel that he is treasured and loved by God. But then we learn something interesting beginning in verse 12. He says, don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the day that you proposed or that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. So the pre-incarnate Son of God reminds Daniel that God has heard his prayers and and that this Son of God was coming to visit him, but he he was opposed for 21 days. The implication being that that the pre-incarnate Son of God... And the reason I'm not calling him Jesus is because he isn't called Jesus until he comes in flesh. But the the pre-incarnate Son of God wanted to visit him the moment he started fasting and praying. Remember, Daniel has been fasting for three weeks. And the pre-incarnate Son of God has been opposed for three weeks for 21 days. Again, the reason he's delayed is because he's opposed by the prince of Persia, not Jake Gyllenhaal, Prince of Persia. Now we have to understand this term, Prince. I'm imagining if you were here, somebody would have chuckled. You see, when, when the Bible speaks here in Daniel chapter 10 of the, of the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece, the Bible is actually not speaking about any earthly prince. He, he's not speaking about the physical, but rather the spiritual. He's speaking of demons and powers at work in these specific nations. And that shouldn't be such a hard concept for us to grasp because we see it with Satan himself, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, Satan is described as the prince of the palates of, of the air. But, but we have a better indication that he's talking about these, these kind of heavenly beings or, or demonic beings, rather, because in verse 21... Look at how Michael is described, who is clearly an angelic being. He says, however, I tell you, uh, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support, support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. And and so, so what we begin to understand here is is that this opposition to the pre-incarnate son of man wasn't coming from human hands, but rather it was coming from, from powers and principalities and demonic forces at work in this world. We'll come back to that in a moment. And so Daniel, again, as, as the pre-incarnate son of God, is speaking, he becomes weak. Because Daniel understands that he is not worthy to be speaking with the Son of God. Beginning in verse 7, he says, How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there is no breath in me. But then the one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, Don't be afraid. You are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. The Son of God again communicates to Daniel that the reason he is here 
is to help Daniel understand the vision, the vision that we will look at beginning next week. He's going to help Daniel unpack all of this. The Son of God tells Daniel, beginning in verse 20, he said, do you know why I have come? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. I stood up to strengthen and protect him. And then what follows in chapter 11 and 12 is the final vision that we'll see in the book of Daniel. But even here, just in this very beginning section, before the vision has even started to be unpacked, in Daniel's encounter with the Son of God in chapter 10, there there is great hope for us when we consider the truth that the battle still rages. And so what I want to do with our time left this morning is I want to offer you four truths that we see, four things, brothers and sisters, that we have to remember, that we have to understand if we are going to think correctly about the battle that is still raging all around us. So here is the first truth that I have for you. The first truth is this. There is a spiritual battle raging all around us. There is a spiritual battle raging all around us. And if I was to add a sub point, it would be, and we can't see it. That there is a spiritual battle raging all around us and, and we, we cannot see it with physical eyes. You know, one of the things that fascinates me so much in this passage that we read are verses 12 through 13, where he says, don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you, that you purpose to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So in these verses, as I mentioned earlier, the Son of God was opposed in coming to Daniel for 21 days, the exact amount of time that Daniel had been fasting, the exact moment that Daniel began to fast a battle in the spiritual realm began. While Daniel was seeking God to move, Satan and his forces were vehemently opposed to what was going on. Church, hear me. Satan does not want to see the kingdom advance. And this reality, this fact that that Daniel began to fast, and at the moment that he began to fast, a spiritual battle began to rage in the cosmos, it teaches us two things. It teaches us, first and foremost, that the spiritual disciplines matter. Because, because if, if Satan wants so vehemently to stop the work that can be accomplished when we are faithful in prayer and faithful in scripture reading and faithful with, with fasting, we have to take seriously the fact that the spiritual disciplines matter, that prayer and the word of God and fasting and the fellowship of the body and worshiping our God, that these are not light and trivial things. Because what we see with Daniel is the moment that he started to engage in these spiritual disciplines, a battle began to rage. 
But we learn something else. We also learn that in the midst of seeking to be faithful with these spiritual disciplines and making much of God and clinging to God and pleading for God to move and to work in this world, we have to expect opposition. We have to. You know, one of the things that's always made me chuckle a little bit, it probably shouldn't make me chuckle, is, you know, by the grace of God, I've been privileged to pastor for many years specifically for someone my age. One of the joys of pastoring is getting to train up and raise up others who will preach the Word of God. And it, it, it never ceases to amaze me when, when men who are not used to preaching... I'll just, I'll just give a practical example. With our brother Lance, who we are, we are growing uh, uh, to, to, to fold more into to the preaching rotation. So he's not used to preaching every week. And what he has said to me almost without fails on the weeks that he has been preparing sermons, the spiritual battles that he has had to fight in his life and in his home are, 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 are almost incomparable to any other time. And it, it makes me chuckle because I know that. I know that's right. I'm reminded of that. We just recently got a chance to get away for a few weeks. I had three Sundays where I wasn't preparing sermons and I wasn't preaching. I'm not saying that the devil left me alone during that time, but then the week where I was preparing a sermon again, I was, I was vividly reminded of how much Satan hates the Word of God going forth as there were battles in my life and in my mind and in my home and they were spiritual battles all around us. You and I, when we are being faithful to seek after the Lord in the discipline that he has given to us, we have to expect opposition from Satan because as I mentioned, Satan does not want to see the kingdom of God advance. But it gets even more interesting when you think through the likely reason that Daniel was fasting. See, most likely Daniel was in this season of mourning and prayer and fasting because the work in Jerusalem and the work of rebuilding the temple had stalled. See, at this point, a few years after the edict had been given, the work had stalled. One commentator notes this. He says, in, in 538 B.C., the king of Medo-Persia, which, which we know as Cyrus or Darius, he, he allowed the captive Jews to return to their land, and many did so, Ezra 1 and 2. But those who returned and commenced a rebuilding of the temple experienced opposition. That's Ezra 3 and 4. And he goes on and says, unfortunately, the rebuilding stopped. It would take the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah to spur on the project to completion. In the third year of Cyrus, then, a period of discouragement set in for the former exiles, and not just for them, but for Daniel as well. And he says this, perhaps Daniel had heard that the returnees were not building the temple. And so his abiding concern for Jerusalem and God's people led him to mourn and to fast and to pray. And so what do we conclude with all this? Well, we conclude that while Daniel was observing physical opposition to the work of rebuilding, the opposition to the Son of God teaches us that ultimately the battle was not physical that there was a spiritual battle that was raging. The physical opposition happening in Jerusalem was the result of spiritual conflict. 
And so church, the takeaway for us is that we cannot forget. Church, hear me, we cannot forget that our battles are not flesh and blood. Yes, they may play themselves out with flesh and blood in this world in real time. But there is a fight far more intense than flesh and blood that is taking place. I mean, that's why, why, why Paul writes, as we've already mentioned in our study through the book of Daniel, he writes in Ephesians six twelve, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in heaven. That's not just some, some cute fight the good fight passage. Paul is pleading with us to remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But we are waging war in the heavens against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this dark and evil age. And church, right now, in this moment in time, we have to remember that our battles are not against flesh and blood. This pandemic is about more than flesh and blood. The fight for justice against systemic racism that we see in our country, it is about more than flesh and blood. The death and destruction that we are reminded of on a daily basis all around us, it is about more than flesh and blood. There is, even at this very moment, a cosmic battle raging for hearts and souls and minds of real people. And don't be confused. At this very moment, there is a battle raging for your heart and your soul and your mind. And the battle is not won or lost in the physical realm. And church, we cannot forget this. Because if we do, we will fight with the wrong weapons. That's why immediately after Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Immediately after that, the very next verse, he says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrow, arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray. At all times, in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And church, if I'm being honest, what scares me more than anything is that in the midst of the spiritual battle that we are a part of right now in this moment, at, in this day and age, with everything that is going on around us, what scares me is that too many of us are fighting the wrong things with the wrong weapons. Too many of us have adopted the world's tactic for warfare and we are losing. Too many of us are more likely to post than we are to pray. Too many of us are more likely to condemn the sinner rather than show gospel-filled compassion and kindness that leads to repentance. Too many of us are putting our hope in a government to make things better rather than an eternal king to make things new. And just a reminder to you, Jesus is not up for election this year. And even if he was, I'm not convinced we'd vote for him because the last time we chose Barabbas. 
Brothers and sisters, there is a spiritual battle that never stops. And Satan wants nothing more than to see kingdom advancement thwarted in your life and in this world. And the the danger of us fighting the wrong things with the wrong weapons is we might think we are making advances for the kingdom. But when we are not focused on fighting the spiritual battle that is raging, we are accomplishing nothing for Jesus. We do not fight like this world. And with all of those things that I've mentioned that are going on, if your fight looks like every other lost person, you are probably fighting wrong. We have to recognize that there is a spiritual battle all around us and fight well. And again, our greatest weapons are spiritual. So our fight should not look the same as those of the world. And if we are ever going to fight, well, we have to first just acknowledge the fact that there is a spiritual battle raging and we have the weapons to fight with. But with that, there's something else that we have to acknowledge. And this leads to our second point. While there is a spiritual battle raging all around us, the second truth is this. We are not strong enough for the conflict we are engaged in. We are not strong enough for the conflict that we are engaged in. Though we are called to fight and though we fight, though we have been given spiritual weapons to wield, we are not strong enough for the conflict we are engaged in. One of the things that caught my attention as I studied chapter 10 was how Daniel was repeatedly portrayed. Verses 8 and 9 says, I was left alone looking at this great vision and there was no strength left in me. My face grew deathly pale and I was powerless. I heard the words he said and when I heard them I fell into a deep sleep with my face on the ground. The end of verse 10 says, after he said this to me, I stood trembling. Verse 15, verses 15 through 17, while he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there is no breath in me. Throughout this chapter, Daniel is repeatedly seen as one who is not strong on his own. When he engaged with the divine, his strength failed him. You know, there's this this sentiment that's often said, even in Christian circles, that God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Maybe you've said that trying to encourage someone. You know, God won't give you more than you can handle. But brothers and sisters, the problem is the Bible never teaches that. It never teaches that. It actually teaches quite the opposite. Now, to be fair, I know where people get that idea. They get it from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
where we're reminded that no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. And so we've taken that, and we said, well, that means that God won't give you more than you can handle. But the thing is that that verse is talking specifically about temptation. That's it. It's it's talking specifically about temptation. God will never allow you to be tempted to the point that you have no choice but to sin. Praise God for that truth. But that does not mean that God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, God will give you more than you can handle. Often. And it is in that moment when God's power is revealed. You see, Paul acknowledges this very thing when he says in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. And concerning this, listen to this, he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Isaiah 40, 29, verse 31 reminds us of this. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. In Psalm 46 verse 1, we are reminded that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You see, brothers and sisters, God will often give us more than we can handle. Because if he didn't, we would think that we don't need him. But it is in the seemingly insurmountable to us where God shows off. And he reminds us that all things are possible for him and that he is for us and not against us. You know, brothers and sisters, part of the reason, and I am saying this very much to myself right now, but part of the reason that I think we are so exhausted, that we get so exhausted, that we get so beat down is because perhaps we have been running out of our own power thinking that we were running out of the Lord's strength. Perhaps we have been leaning on ourselves more than we want to acknowledge. But you and I, brothers and sisters, do not have the strength on our own to engage in the spiritual battle that is raging all around us. The Son of Man was opposed and stopped for 21 days. The Son of of God. How do you think you'll measure up? But the reality is we're called to fight. Daniel did not have the strength. But what I love is that in each instance when Daniel was weak, when he did not have words and when he could not stand, it was the Son of God who gave him strength, who gave him words to speak, and who set his feet on the ground. And we can't forget, brothers and sisters, that Daniel may have been one of the best of us. 
But even as the best of us, he desperately needed a strength that came from outside himself. And the pre-incarnate Christ was his strength. He is all throughout chapter 10. This leads to the third truth that I want you to see this morning. And it is where we find so much hope. The third truth is that though there is a spiritual battle raging all around us and we are not strong enough to engage in the conflict on our own, the third truth is that Jesus is fighting for his people. Jesus is fighting for his people. And we cannot miss this. Even before Jesus walked on this earth as the incarnate Son of God, he was fighting for his people. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. After I had been left there with the kings of Persia, the son of God was fighting for his people. In verse 20, he said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. The son of God was fighting for his people. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The Son of God was fighting for His people. In Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And the Son of God is still fighting for His people. And because of this, what comes next in Romans 8 is true. Because He is still fighting for for us, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered, but no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Though we are weak, our Savior is strong. Though the battles rage, Jesus is our strength and our anchor in the midst of the storm. And church, let this free you. I pray it frees me from the burden of trying to be strong. Because you don't have to be. Because Jesus is. He is and will continue fighting for you. And because He is fighting for us, we fight knowing that in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. Yes, there is a battle raging. Yes, we are not strong enough for it. But Jesus, the one who has already conquered, is fighting for you. And we, we catch a glimpse of even how incredible this fight is. How vast and broad it is in verse 21 where it says that no one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. And, and I don't have time because I'm already almost out of time to really get into a study of angels. But that's a fascinating thing because what we see is that each of these nations, right, that Persia and, and that Greece would have this demonic prince over them. This demonic being who was ruling and reigning and, and waging cosmic war. And yet you have Michael and the people of Israel have their 
own prince, their own, their own guardian angel, dare we say. But it's not this cute baby wrapped in a diaper. It's a flaming angelic being that is waging cosmic war on behalf of God's people. God himself is fighting for you and the host of heaven is fighting on your side. There is a massive spiritual battle and we are not strong enough. But the one who has conquered is on our side. But what's so amazing is that all of this from Jesus, from the Son of God, flows from His heart of love for you. And this is the last truth that I want you to hold on to as we consider the fact that the battle still rages. And brothers and sisters, if you are like me and you have been struggling, this may be the most significant point of all of this for you to hold on to. Even though the battle still rages. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And church, this simple truth for some reason just hit me like a ton of bricks in the midst of my great struggle and weariness this week. Because verses 10 and 11, they read like this. Suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. You know, this is the second chapter that we have seen where Daniel is said to be treasured by God. And I... I was looking at the translation of that and a better translation, you see the best translation is not actually treasured by God. The best translation from the, from the language would be that Daniel, you are a man greatly beloved by God. You are a man who is greatly loved by God. And in the midst of a weakened, frail state, the Son of God seeing Daniel for who he is, says that you are greatly loved by God. Circumstances don't change that. Exile doesn't change that. The battle that is raging all around us doesn't change that. Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. And church, we cannot forget that simple and yet powerful truth. Because the gospel is God's love story to us. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2 But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. He made you alive with Christ even though you were dead in your trespasses for by grace you have been saved. It's because of love. It's because of love that God sent His Son to live in this world even though we didn't deserve Him, even though we had rebelled, even though our sin separates us from Him. It was because of love that Jesus came and fulfilled the law that we couldn't fill. It was because of love that Jesus Christ willing endured, willingly endured the torment leading up to the cross. It was because of love that he endured the torment on the cross. It was because of love that he bore the full weight of God's anger and hatred of sin on himself. 
It is because of love that Jesus resurrected from the dead. It is because of love that we are invited to come be reconciled to God through faith and repentance. The gospel is a story that declares to us that you are loved by God. And church, in a world of chaos and loss and pain, in a world of frustration, in a world of injustice, in a world of hatred, in a world where it seems like no one loves or cares for you, we are greatly loved by God. And our only hope is in the fact that God loves us. And that's enough. Though the battle rages, the love of God is enough. And it is in that love where we can find rest in the midst of this fight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would would cherish your love that we would marvel at your love. And God, ultimately, that we would rest in your love. We are reminded, I am reminded, that this world is not as it should be. And that brings with it pain and hardship and struggle, Lord. And and we understand, because you've told us in your word, that it is bigger than flesh and blood, that there is at this moment a battle that is raging. But in the midst of all of it, you love us and you are fighting for us. So whatever happens, whatever comes in this life, Lord, help us to rest in your faithful love, believing that you are a faithful God who always comes through. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.